0: Um, Why don't we pray? Then I want to get into the message here this morning. Father, we thank You for the day that You have given us truly. Lord, this is the day that You have made, and we rejoice in it. Lord, we rejoice in You and Your goodness. And I trust, Lord, that You would anoint this message. Lord, speak what You want to speak here this morning. And may we leave conformed more into the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen, amen, and amen. So I greet you in Jesus' name and pray that you are blessed. I'm going to start with a question. Um, I've been told I'm not supposed to start a sermon with a question, but I always find that to be helpful and whatnot. But here's the question. Are you a child of Abraham? And this is rhetorical. I hear some yeses. I want you to think about that. Are you a child of Abraham? This morning, I want to explore what that means as this term is mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament, a child of Abraham. And thinking of Abraham, in fact, and I did I looked this up myself, so I'm not basing this on someone else's research. Out of all of the Old Testament patriarchs or the saints that we look at, Abraham is mentioned the second most of all of them. And the first would be Moses, and it's actually pretty close. So I think it's probably important um, to think about Abraham and what Abraham would teach us and becoming his child. And understandably so, as both Moses and Abraham were used mightily by God by playing major roles in God's plan of redemption. And the Lord made covenants with both Moses and Abraham. Probably don't have time to get into that this morning, but that's sort of an underlying thought. Think about the, the Mosaic covenant and before that the Abrahamic covenant. And I would contend, and this is Todd speaking, I would contend of, of anyone who has ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, I would contend that Abraham is probably the greatest man who's ever walked the face of the, this earth. And we can talk about this later, but think about this. He is known as the father of faith. Three, the three major monotheistic, meaning one God, religions are based off Abraham, right? Which would be Judaism... Christianity and Islam. Several nations and people groups derived directly from him. And Abraham was known as the friend of God. Has a greater man apart from Christ ever lived. Throwing that out there. And was his greatness due to his qualifications? um, Like he earned this? Or was it due to the call of God and the blessings of God on his life? I would say the latter. You know, that God chose him, and blessed him. He saw something in Abraham, but ultimately his greatness is due to the hand of God upon him. Now back to my original question. Are you Abraham's child? Are you his child? Have you ever thought about that? I know I have. I read the Bible and especially the New Testament, and we'll be in Galatians today. Paul delves into this uh, quite a bit. What's it mean to be his child? And we're going to look at that here. What does it mean to be a child of Abraham? Does this have to do purely with our ancestry, um, our bloodlines, or is it something much bigger? Well, let's look. Throughout the New Testament, we see that being physical descendants of Abraham, although culturally important, counts nothing for eternity. Both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus had something to say, some insight on this matter. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, a lot of people would actually say this is the last chapter of the Old Testament, if you will. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, because John the Baptist is on a scene. There's a new dispensation about to happen. Uh, the Lord Jesus, this is right before the Lord Jesus is baptized, saying that all righteousness must be fulfilled. There was a change in the priesthood at that point. But John or Matthew chapter 3, I should say. John the Baptist, verses 4 through 10. Now John himself was, was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance,' And do not think to say to yourselves, here it is, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. That also makes me think when the Lord, and we'll celebrate here in a few weeks, talking about the triumphal entry, the Lord said he's able to get praise from these stones. It's not the stones that he's talking about, but God's able to do the miraculous. And and John the Baptist finished, he says, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, John's point was that's far more important than their physical lineage was their spiritual lineage. And then along this tone in John chapter 8, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but I will summarize. A very famous uh, flow of Scripture in John 7. Through John 8, the beginning of John 8, um, Jesus was met by the woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, came to Him and they wanted her to be stoned. He said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. So then He continues teaching, going to the temple, um, and the Pharisees are talking with Him and whatnot. And we in there, the Lord says, You shall know the truth. If you abide in My words, the truth will make you free. And they start contesting with Him back and forth. and Because the Lord said... My father and I are one. And they said, you're basically um, equating yourself to the father. And they they started arguing with the Lord Jesus about who their father was. Well, Abraham is our father. And what did the Lord tell him? He said, if you were of your father, Abraham, you would do the works that Abraham did, right? And then they got arguing a little bit more and they accused Jesus, our Lord, of being... uh Birth and fornication. They says we're not a fornication. We have one father. Then they went even higher. They said, our father is God. But the Lord told him who the real father was, didn't he? What did he say? You are of your father, the devil. Then later on in that chapter, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they said, have you seen our father Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Amen? So here are the Jews again The religious leaders they were they were saying Abraham is our father. The Lord told him who the real father was. And the third example I want to look at is found in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Again, another well known story. Um, Zacchaeus knew he had been living wrong, and he confessed, "Look, Lord, Luke 19. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold." He had a repentant heart. He put faith in Christ. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And my question in the Lord's eyes, was Zacchaeus a child of Abraham because of his Israelite pedigree or because of his faith in Christ? I would say it's because of his faith in Christ based on these other verses we looked at. And then one other verse the Apostle Paul wrote um, about bloodline and ancestry meaning nothing in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. It further illustrates this. Paul tells us, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, meaning the Jewish people, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And that was talking about the Abrahamic covenant, which we see in Genesis 15. So it is clear from God's point of view that being a child of Abraham has nothing to do with ancestry. Therefore, it must be something else. Right? But what? Let's turn to our text this morning. It's found in Galatians 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. So Galatians 3, 5 through 9. Now the context of what was going on um, when Paul wrote Galatians, and he was writing this. This is one of the earliest books written, if not the earliest, written in the New Testament. Paul, a lot of this was refutation against the Judaizers. They were saying, you need to come back under the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised to be made right with God. And Paul wrote this to refute that teaching. And we're going to see that. Let me read the text here. Galatians 3, 5-9. through 9. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. That's the verse I want to drive home this morning right there. Verse 7. Therefore only those who are of faith are the sons. Or I looked it up in the original Greek. This would be translated, written in a male context. You can put in there the children of Abraham. Verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So Scripture makes it clear that being a child of Abraham is not based on bloodline, the flesh, if you will, but it is based on being accounted righteous by God, by believing in his promises. In other words, a child of Abraham is someone who is justified by faith. You ever heard that term before? Justified by faith. And if you will, that's what I'm preaching on. I'm kind of backdooring into this by our child of Abraham. That's what it means. We're justified by faith. And we're going to look at what a little more into that. Justification by faith is the central theme of much of Paul's teaching, especially Through Romans and Galatians. Very similar what we're reading here in Romans, really, chapter 2 and on. Read uh, Romans 3 through chapter 5, teaching the very same things. This is littered throughout Paul's uh, teachings. While justification by faith is central to the new covenant, it is a doctrine found throughout the entire Bible. Did you know that? Right here we read it says the gospel was preached to Abraham. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is all throughout this, the good news, ladies and gentlemen. In verse 6 of our text, Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that is right before in Genesis 15 where God made a covenant with him. Where God, Abraham says, I don't have Mary. He said, take Eleazar of my concubine. It says, no, you shall have children. And he said, they will be as the sand on the seashore or the stars at night. You have children. And Abraham believed. It's showing that this is by faith. He was justified by his faith in God. Then after this, God made a covenant with him. He had Abraham bring these animals, cut them in half. Abraham drew, drove the birds away, if you will. We're thinking of um, taking every thought captive. Those can be demonic things, the devil trying to interrupt the plans of God. Then it says a deep sleep fell over Abraham. And who passed through this blood covenant where these things were cut in half? God did. God made a covenant. If you read in Psalm 87, it talks about talking about God's anointed, that that was Christ, if you will, going through that covenant, that God made a blood covenant not only with Abraham, but all who will believe in faith through him. Hallelujah. A blood covenant means if I don't hold up to my end of the bargain, guess what? I die. And I think of where it says in Hebrews, God, because he could swear by no one higher, swore by himself. Then it talks about how Abraham entered into his promises and into his rest. Another place that the justification by faith we find in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament is Job. Job sought to justify himself before God. We think about how his friends, if they were really his friends, kept coming after him. Then Elihu rebuked him and said, you know, will you humble yourself, but Job tried to justify himself, and in the end, in chapter 42, he ended up renouncing his own righteousness and receiving his justification by God. Another example we would find of justification by faith throughout the whole Bible would be David, a man after God's own heart. We read some of his psalms this morning. David loved the Lord. David, yet he speaks of the blessing of justification apart from works it says in psalm 32:1 blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sin is covered and also in psalm 143 do not enter into judgment with your servant speaking on uh, an intimate one-on-one level right here david says don't please don't enter into judgment with your servant for in your sight no one is righteous he knew we had all sinned we all need a savior we all need a justifier hallelujah Isaiah prophesies that the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord will, will make many account, accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities, Isaiah 53, 11. And then Habakkuk. Habakkuk teaches that the righteous shall live by his faith in Habakkuk 2, 4, a truth which he lived out, if you read to the end of the book. He said, what is it? Though the fig tree doesn't bear fruit, though the grape doesn't produce, yet I will praise you. Paul knew this truth as well because he directly quotes it in Romans 1. He quotes Habakkuk. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And the Lord Jesus Himself teaches this doctrine in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector found in Luke 18. Think about the Pharisee and the tax collector. What did the Lord say? The one man exalted himself. He says, God, I thank You. I'm not like these other men. I do all these great religious deeds and whatnot. He says, basically, look at me. I I deserve Your favor and I deserve heaven. Thank You all Your blessings. He said the second man wouldn't even raise his head to heaven, stood afar off, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What did the Lord say about those men? He said, I tell you the truth. He said, the second man or the latter man went home justified. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So to be justified, we must be humble. So we see justification by faith throughout Scripture, not only... Um, in the New Covenant, what Paul is teaching. And justification by faith is another way of saying that we are not justified by our works, as it is the opposite of justification by our works of the obedience to the law. We're not made right with God by what by doing these good things, by keeping the law of Moses. If you read through Galatians, and honestly, I wanted to go there today, but I don't have time. Read through, starting at like Galatians 2.15. Um, read a bunch of chapter 3. It's going back and forth, keeping the law of Moses, Am I saying the law of Moses is done for the Christian? No, I'm not. Paul did. We can talk about that later. Paul said we're no longer under the law. Does that mean we're lawless, that we should live as antinomianists? I believe that's how you pronounce that, that there's no law. No, there is a higher law, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to talk about that in a bit. We have a much higher law. It's called the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor as yourself. Think about this. In, in Isaiah 42, uh, 21, it says that God would exalt the law and make it honorable, that he would actually make it higher. What does he mean by that? We think of the Sermon on the Mountain. I appreciate Jim preaching through that right now. Um, the Lord says, don't think that it came to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Where did he fulfill it at? He fulfilled it on the cross. He said, heaven and earth will not pass away, and one jot and one tittle will not uh, depart from this law. And a lot of people, we see this today. Are, are there Judaizers in our time? What would you say? I like some audience. Do you think there's Judaizers? You ever heard of Hebrew Roots Movement? You need to keep the law. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure the black Hebrew Israelites would be that way, where they think they're literal Israel. But there's Judaizers to this day you need to have the cross of Christ and faith in what the Lord did for you plus this. It's the cross plus nothing. Amen? Amen. There are still Judaizers to this day. The law being fulfilled in Christ, we, we are not to live without law. We have a much higher law. The Lord exalted it. Think about what he said about you heard that sh- you should not kill. Did he make it easier or harder? Mike's laughing. Don't murder. He said, if you have hatred in your heart, you're a murderer, right? If you say to your brother that you're an idiot, the word is raka in the Greek. It says, you empty head. You're in danger of the hellfire. First John talks about if you say you love God and hate your brother, who you can't see, and you hate your brother who you can't see, do you really love God, right? Hallelujah. What about adultery? Speaking to men here, did he make that easier or harder? Come on, he made it a lot harder. He exalted the law and made it harder. What about loving your enemies? You know, in the old covenant it was an eye for an eye, take vengeance. We were talking about this th- this morning. The law of Christ which holds us to a higher standard which the Christian is bound to, it makes it harder. I'm to turn the other cheek. I'm to bless those who curse me. I'm to be perfect it says as my heavenly father is perfect. Now, I'll, I'll get I'll leave that rabbit trail right there. So he he actually raises the standard. I need to get back my notes here. I like to riff a lot of times and just sort of freestyle and you know what my wife it drives her nuts but just stay with your notes as Paul says in Romans 328 we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law he also draws Paul does in, in a lightning contrast between the worker and the believer What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, listen, if he was justified by works, Abraham, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt." But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So if I want to come back under the law, Paul is saying, it's counted as debt to me. In Galatians, Paul was, they were dealing with circumcision. He says, if you want to be circumcised and go back under the law, he says, you are a cursed it says, cursed is the man who does not continue in keeping that entire law. You imagine if we put ourselves back under the old covenant, and I'm saying the old covenant, I'm talking specifically the law of Moses. If we lived on that every, every day, if we came in here, how many animals we would have to slay, right? If I sinned, I'd have to come in here slaying anyone. Imagine how much blood that would be. Cursed is him who does not keep the whole law, right? If you want to go under that covenant, can you be made perfect by it? No one ever could, but I'd say have at it. We have a much better covenant, a covenant by faith. Hallelujah. This means that none of us will be justified by our righteous works or our obedience to the law. Rather, we are justified through faith and faith alone in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. You ought to shout at that. However, being justified by faith does affirm that good works follow faith. While our works of obedience to the law as a means or a cause of our justification before God are excluded, this doctrine does affirm that acts of love and good works necessarily follow from our faith as the fruit of this faith. For example, Paul teaches that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for everything but only faith working through love. That's Galatians 5, 6. And James, and I remember Jim preaching this recently, faith without works being dead. James chapter 2 teaches that our faith is completed by our works, concluding that a person is justified by works after they have come to faith. And I I like saying it this way, and this is a very Mennonite view, having a faith that works. Genuine faith must result in good works. Do you believe that? Genuine faith must result in good works what say you amen okay we are not saved by works that is clear in ephesians 2 it say, says it is a gift of god not of works so we can't boast about it in ephesians 2:10 it says that we are his workmanship created for good works so we're not saved by works but we are saved to them hallelujah and justification by faith is also the seminal teaching of the reformation here you go marvin Or sola fide. Is that right, fide? There's five solas. Fide would be faith. This teaching asserts that salvation is based on faith alone, that believers are made righteous in the sight of God. That's how they're made righteous, by their faith in what Christ has done, His atoning sacrifice. And not only on the basis of what Paul calls the works of the law, and not on the basis of what Paul calls the works of the law, or your good works, Not only is this doctrine central to the Bible, specifically Paul's teaching, talking about justification by faith, it was central to the Reformers. It's also central to someone near and dear to us. Who would that be? And I quote, Turkey Run, Mennonite Church, salvation or soteriology, which means salvation, how we come about that. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace based on the work of Jesus Christ, the shedding of His blood on the cross, His resurrection, and present intercessory ministry, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I put this in bold right here, listen carefully. Those who receive God's gift of salvation by faith become children of God justified in their relationship to God sanctified in their walk and work, and secure in an ongoing faith expressed and fostered by obedience to Christ. Justification is extended to all people in regard to Adamic guilt. In other words, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And by personal repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and in His provision in regard to personal guilt. I hope you believe that. It's in your statement of faith and you should up to hear church. Amen? It's central to what we believe in our doctrine as well. So back to our text here in Galatians chapter 3. Paul states plainly, looking, I'm going to read verses 6 through 7 again, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore that not know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, "In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So looking at verse 7 right there, Paul states plainly that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And then in verse 8, those who are of faith are blessed, receive the blessings of Abraham. They receive the inheritance of Abraham, the man of faith. To be a son or a child of someone is to have that person's traits. Amen? For good or bad, I look like my dad. For good or bad, you look like your dad, look like your mother, right? We, we, we have those person's traits, and I pray it is good. Someone's laughing. To be the son of God is to have God's traits. We can say the Lord Jesus definitely had God's traits. He is God in the flesh. Hallelujah. To be the son of Abraham is to display the traits of Abraham, first of all, which is faith. Abraham knew the truth found in Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. Amen. Abraham heard from God and he believed. In Genesis 12, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. This is the first time we see Abraham come on a scene in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, "Get out of your country." Literally, before this, we know nothing of Abraham. His name is actually still Abram. I'm going to take a time out. At the end of Genesis 11, it, gave, it gives the the lineage of Terah and it just says it mentions Abram, and then we see this. God shows up to Abraham, and as far as we know, there was probably no one calling on the name of the Lord at these times. There was no one in covenant relationship. What was God searching for? I want you to think from God's point of view here. What was God looking for by calling Abraham? What is God looking for by calling us to be children of Abraham? He's looking for a people. He's calling people unto himself. He's looking for relationship. Amen? Does he want a bunch of rule followers like under the law of Moses, which came 430 years later? Is he looking for people who would know him, who would walk with him, who would commune with him, who would be in relationship with him? What do you think? How do, why do I say that? What was God's original intent? I appreciate Anthony's teaching this morning in Sunday school. It was excellent. He talked about God's original intent very briefly. In Genesis 1, God made all these things and he said they are good, but he gave man dominion and rule if you will, in his covenant he made in Eden with mankind. And they knew God. They walked with God face to face. They were in relationship with him. And then we all know what happened. The fall of man we see in Genesis 3. And then after that, throughout history, people turned wicked. All their hearts were bent toward doing evil. God wipes them out. He makes a covenant with Noah, wipes out mankind. And then you would think things, hey, would start good again after the time of Noah. But what did man do? Here comes the Tower of Babel. They said, you know what? We're going to make a name for ourselves. Essentially, we don't need God. They were going back to the first lie, eating that, Martha, to your point, they're essentially eating that knowledge of good and evil. We will be like God. God went down, scattered them, and then Abraham shows up on the scene. God called a very distinct man. He became the father of a very distinct people who he gave the law to. Why? Why? so he may have a people unto himself. How do we know this? God says, you are my inheritance. Not only the Levites, they have their inheritance in God and God in him, but he says these people are his inheritance. Are you his inheritance? Think about that. I would say you are by faith in Abraham. Genesis 12, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, promise, I will bless you, promise. I will make your name great, promise. And and you shall be a blessing, promise. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, promise. Is this still in effect, by the way? Watch the news. Be careful how you treat Israel. Amen? So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The promises we see right there. So what did Abram do at that point? He received these promises. He moved. He walked in faith. God said, I'm going to send you. He said, get out. He went. What should we do when God gives us a promise? When He speaks to us, we should move. Hallelujah. To my wife's point, maybe we should be a people of moving. I'm not saying we ought to have liturgical dance. Mike's sitting there cringing. But when God says something, man, we need to rejoice. And we we need to move. I'm talking when God speaks something, move. And to wrap up... I want to read at the end of Galatians 3. I want to quickly look at one aspect of how these promises that God made to Abram right here were fulfilled. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Then I'll have a few applications, then we'll be closing, and you guys can go enjoy your fellowship meal. I find it interesting. I usually get the opportunity to preach the day we have fellowship meals. So I, a lot of times, I get to be the bad guy. Anyway. Anyway, be thankful because I had a lot more notes. I'm like, no, this needs pared down. Anyway, I digress. Galatians 3 26. And hey, read this. We're getting, I think this is interesting. We just left Psalms, we just left Old Covenant, great things. They point to Christ, the fear of the Lord, beginning of the wisdom, all these different things. Mike Roy is our Sunday school teacher. I'm not sure who's teaching next week, but we're going into Galatians. Read through this. This is powerful stuff. How should we live as believers? What law are we under? The law of Christ. Hallelujah. Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Let me convey that over you. You are all sons. You are all children of God, not in yourself, not by your goodness, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You receive that? Several of you do. Others of you are sleeping. Jim didn't fall asleep. He threatened me that he going to fall asleep. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, read chapter 2. where he said, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. If I've been baptized, my baptism proved I was dead. I was dead to the old man. At the end of... Uh, Chapter uh, two, right after Galatians two twenty, being crucified with Christ, Paul says, "I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Christ did not die in vain. That's very similar to uh, Romans three thirty one, where it says." I do not set aside the law, but yet I establish it. It's established in Christ. My baptism shows that I have been buried with Christ. I'm dead to my old person. Now I'm alive. Hallelujah to the promises. I'm alive to the faith of following Christ. I'm alive to being a child of Abraham. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse... Is very true, and in the context of what I'm reading of, it really speaks. It is not meant to say we ought to have women pastors or anything like that. I'm just throwing that aside. Usually that verse is extracted to show, no, what is it saying? We're all one. We are unified. There's roles in the body, but we're unified. Jew, Greek, in other words, Gentile, all. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. And the verse 29, and if you are Christ's conditional, that if, if you are Christ, and I trust you are Christ this morning, then you are what? Abraham's seed. You are a child of Abraham and heirs. You have an inheritance with Abraham. It says we're co heirs with Christ. We also have an inheritance with Abraham. Hallelujah. What did Abraham get, Jim? He got some land. I know that. We have an inheritance. Hallelujah. In Christ, Christ is our promised land. But I believe there's something to this. Amen. So the application, I've heard many times when you preach, you've got to make it practical. Is that right? You've got to make it practical. Opa would say that. Is that right, gentlemen? You've preached for years. Make it practical. Here's your practical application. Hopefully this was all practical. Since we are children of Abraham via being justified by faith, how should we live? Good question. What does the Lord desire of those who would follow Him? Live in the new covenant above all? Amen? I should live in the new covenant. I need to quit trusting in my own performance, trying to please God, whether by attempting to keep the law or by doing my good works, thinking this justifies me before God. Unfortunately, I think many professing Christians still live here. And if if I had an impetus, I trust it was the Lord who birthed this sermon or what to share this morning. But if if I had one thing I would say really... That, that brought this sermon about, I, I think this, and I, I've seen it in my own life, and I pray if you're here, you would hear what I'm, I'm trying to say. Unfortunately, many professing Christians still, I think, live trying to please God in their own strength. By I get at least one man, an honest man, shaking his head. Well, if I'll just keep this, if I won't lie today, if I won't murder someone, I'll please God. Were those things fulfilled in Christ or were they not? I think many are still camped out in the desert, in the wilderness, while the Lord is calling you to believe Him and enter into the promised land of rest. Hallelujah. We, there is a rest for the people of God. Amen? And we need to move on in faith. We need to go forward in faith and receive the promises that God has for us. But I think it's why many people don't live in victory. If I looked, if I'm honest with myself, in my 26 years I've followed Christ. Yes, I'm an old man. How many times has it been my own fault where I've not had the victory that I, I don't? I feel an unease in my spirit, in my soul? Could it be that much of that is due to me trying to curry and gain favor with God and not just simply ob- obeying and believing in faith what God has done for me? Amen? Does that resonate with any of you? It definitely does with me. We think, man, if I, if I mess up, well, I need to read a little more. I put these rules and regulations over myself. Paul actually talked about this. He said, the Lord took those rules and handwritings of regulations. What did He do? He nailed them to a cross. He triumphed over them publicly, putting them to shame. Hallelujah. In Colossians, he says, let no one judge you in these new moons. It's interesting, we had a moon last night. I don't think it was a new moon. It was a full moon. These things and these feasts. In other words, he says, do not touch, do not drink, do not taste. All these different things, which he said have have a, an image, an image that they look good of self-imposed religion, but they're nothing against the, the, power of the flesh wanting to dominate you. It is by faith. You have to say, Lord, I believe and I'm going to receive what you have done for me. See, many still camp out around Sinai in the desert. You need to move into the promised land. And if that's you this morning. We'll have a time of prayer here in a few minutes. Go forward. Hallelujah. Quit striving and saying, yes, Lord. Just say, Lord, I receive what you have for me. See, Jesus did not say, if you, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. Right? That just sounds wrong saying it, doesn't it? If you keep my commandments, I will love you. He instead washed his disciples' feet and says, if you love me, then you'll do what I tell you. It's relationship. It's knowing him. These things are birthed out of walking with him. And his commandments, it tells us, are not burdensome in 1 John That that law of Christ, hallelujah. Instead of trusting in your performance, trust in His saints. The new covenant is based on His promises and what He has done, and it is only taken by faith. Realize that His love for you is not based on your performance. It's based on the performance of His Son, Jesus Christ. What He did for you on that cross, hallelujah. Think how it must grieve God when His children don't believe and walk in His promises, we would have never heard the name of Abram if he wouldn't have believed, would we? And it's not about making a name for yourself and being a hero, but it's God's blessing on you, and then you are remembered. I always think about the 10 spies. We don't remember any of their names, do they, or do we? I remember Marvin preached a sermon. he put the 10 spies up there. He said, "Who are these people?" Most people? I mean, I just guessed. I said it's the 10 spies. But we remember Caleb and um, Joshua. Amen. Because they went in faith. They brought a good report. They said they knew God, even though these people are giants. God has given us this land. He has given us the ability to take this land. He's done the same for you. Amen? Whatever you're facing, He's given you the, he's given you the power in His resources just by trusting in Him and appropriating His strength. Hallelujah. Can't do it on your own. Trust in the Lord. But how it must grieve Him when, when people don't believe Him. We must believe that He is again in Hebrews eleven six, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Lord is looking for children again. Think relationship who walk in faith, not as distant rule followers who hope their distant rule followers who hope their good deeds curry His favor and blessing. Those who realize their only justification is what Christ did for them, who take this truth and live it out by faith, bringing glory to God. This is what being a child of Abraham is all about. So I'm going to ask you again, are you a child of Abraham? Hallelujah? Amen? My wife's rolling a Hey, I tell you what, hey, stop that tape for a minute. For 1999, in the lobby after the service, I'm just joking. No, but I had this shirt made a few years ago. And I remember Rob asking me, what does it mean? And people, I, it was cool. I'd wear it when we were traveling. Allison hated it. But I'd wear the shirt. And there were people who were like, I like your shirt. Because you get it. If I'm a child, if I'm born again, if I'm walking in Christ, if I'm, if I'm the Lord's child, I'm also a child of Abraham. Amen. I had to dig this out from the work short shirt drawer and stuff. Hopefully it doesn't smell too bad, but yes. <laughs> If you want one, I can see about maybe getting one. This was a one-off, but anyway. You know what I think would be highly appropriate to sing? And then we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Have many sons, and many sons. thank you for your promises, Lord. We thank you that we're your children and that we're then children of Abraham, walking in faith, Lord. We pray as the disciples did, Lord, increase our faith, Lord. May we bless you. May we please you how we live. May we walk in your promises, Lord, in your covenants, in your direction, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name and for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.